tonight, uh, as is our, our practice on every Sunday night right now, uh, the, the hope is to be refreshed by the gospel. The, the same gospel that doesn't ever grow old. Uh, it's our hope tonight that we will uh, see Christ with fresh eyes. And um, we're going to do that tonight by looking at uh, Judges chapter 17 and 18. Um, in the book of Judges, it's in the Old Testament between the Pentateuch and the Wisdom books. It's in the beginning of those, those history books. If you're, if you're in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you've gone too far back up. Um, and if you're in Joshua, you're not quite there yet. Go a little bit farther forward. Chapter 17 and 18 is what we're going to, to look at tonight. Um, and we're actually going to read a large portion of it. Um, and I will also be aware of the time, so don't worry about that. Um, to give you a little bit of context for what we're going to read, uh, the book of Judges falls between the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings of God's people and the era of the kings. Now, if you are in Awanas on Wednesday night, uh, this, is, this is between Joshua and uh, King Saul. No. Right there, when we have judges, no kings. That's the, that's the era that we're in. So God's people have been brought from the promised land, I mean from, from captivity in Egypt into the promised land. And before King David, before King Saul, before Solomon, before the divided kingdom and all, all of that in the exile, uh, there is this period uh, where there are no kings and God raises up a number of judges. And judges, the book of Judges is really a tragedy. You know, it's, it's a slow sort of, it's a cycle being repeated, but as the cycle is being repeated, what's happening, God's people are, are turning away from God. There's a decline in their faithfulness to Him. It's a period of declension uh, in the religion of Israel and the faithfulness of Israel. And um, when we come to the end of Judges, uh, the, the story of Samson and ends in chapter 16, and then at the very end of Judges, here in chapter 17 and 18, and then to the end, there are a few scenarios that are really illustrating Israel's profound decline. There are a couple, sometimes you know, they seem a little bit bizarre, what's happening, but it is kind of, it's depicting the, the, the horrific tragedy of how God's people had become so much like the world. You remember when they were brought out of Egypt into the Promised Land, it was not just the people living in the promised land were not just some you know, innocent bystanders who got displaced. They were, a, they were wicked people who hated the Lord, and God brought His people in as judgment on them. And what we see in the book of Judges, and especially here at the end, God's people in turning away from God and, de and the declension in their faithfulness to Him, they had become just like the nations that they displaced. You know, they had turned away from the Lord, and they'd become like those Canaanites that, uh, that, they had, that their coming was judgment upon, and, and then themselves deserving, deserving judgment. So what, the story tonight is a, it's a tragic story, and it's, it's illustrating Israel's declension in this period of apostasy that they're in. And the man who is the central figure in the story, his name is Micah, in that way, he really is an illustration of a man alienated from God. He's a picture of a man apart from God. And in that way, he's very helpful to us because 
he helps us to see what it looks like to be alienated from God. Looking at Micah helps us to see some dynamics in ourselves that we might not be aware of uh, and from which we should turn. Now, as we read through this, um, I'm going to read through um, Judges 17 and part of 18, and I'm going to make some comments along the way, and then we'll do some very simple sort of gospel reasoning from the text once we've read the story. Um, So let's look at, look, if you have a copy of the scriptures in front of you, uh, Judges chapter 17. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, now listen to this, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver's with me. I took it. Right. Now, off to a bad start with Micah here. You know, mother, all that gold, which this is a year's wages, roughly. All that silver that was taken from you, all that money that you were uttering a curse on people about, and you said to me that you were uttering that curse, well, I have it. I'm the one that took it. Right. <clears throat> His mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. Maybe with a hint of irony, I don't know. Maybe she wanted to bless her son and replace that curse that she had uttered before. But he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. A little bit bizarre. I dedicate this to the Lord, and by and honoring the Lord, I'm going to violate the second commandment with it and make a metal image, a carved image for my son so he can worship it. Uh, now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, verse 4, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to a silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. Verse 5, and the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and he ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, the, the author here makes that comment, there is no king in Israel, everyone does what's right in their own eyes, because what Micah is doing is so bizarre in Israel. He's got his own little temple, he's got his own little gods, he's got his own little priesthood in his own household, these graven images, which is a great abomination against the Lord. And he's doing so under the auspices of worshiping the Lord. Now, verse 7, There was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem to Judah, in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said, well, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I might find a place. I'm off to, to find my place in the world. And Micah said to him, I stay with me. Be to me a father and a priest. I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes for your living. Not a lot of money, but Micah sees an opportunity here. He sees an opportunity to take his little idol factory to the next level. A real Levite could be the priest. 
Right? This guy's passing by. I'm going to snare him. I've got my own son. I've got my little you know, Micah priesthood. Forget that. This is an actual live Levite. He could come and be a priest in my house. I'll you know, give him room and board, and I'll throw a little bit of cash at him. And then you know, it, it's like, it's as good as Jerusalem right here. And the Levite, verse 11, was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. Get that, Micah ordained the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Right? Micah thinks, I have got it made. You know, look at this little castle of sand that I have made. Look how fortified it is. Look at my little kingdom that I've built, honoring the Lord, you know, ironically, by disobeying lots of his commands directly. But surely all of my religiosity is going to please the Lord, so I must have good things coming to me. Back up the dump truck of blessing. You know, I've got a Levite for a priest. Well, chapter 18. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan were seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to explore it. That's interesting, isn't it? They're in the land that was spied out by the people in the wilderness, the promised land that God had given to them. The Danites are not content with what they've got in the land. They send their own spies to other parts of the land to spy it out and explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. On the way, they come to Micah's house, these five spies, and they stay with him. When they were in the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. Maybe they knew him, or maybe they just recognized his accent, the you know, Judean accent he's speaking with, or whatever. They recognized his voice, and they turned aside, and they said to him, who, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he, the Levite, said to them, oh, this is how Micah dealt with me. He's hired me. I've become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we're setting out will succeed. We've, we've, we've shown up at a, at a holy place, evidently, with this Levite here. No, he can ask God, you know. He can, he can uh, shake the magic eight ball and find out how our mission is going to go. Great. And the priest said to them, go in peace, verse 6. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. You know, as you spy out the territories of your kinsmen to see who you want to rob, you're under the eye of the Lord. You'll, you'll, you'll succeed. Go for it. Verse 7, the five men departed and they came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anybody. Ripe fruit here. Peaceful, wealthy, isolated, unsuspecting. Verse 8, when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtael, the spies went back. Their brothers said to them, what do you report? And they said, arise, and let's go up against them. For we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go. 
to enter in and to possess the land, as soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands. You hear all these echoes of when they were going to cross the Jordan River. A place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. They almost say flowing with milk and honey. So, verse 11, 600 men of the tribe of Dan. Now, imagine 600 people, by the way. What are, there's maybe 100 people in here. 115 people in here. You know, six times the number of people here in this room. Men with weapons of war set out from Zorah and Eshtael. And they went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim and Judah. And on this account, on this account, that place is called Mahanadan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim, and they came to the house of Micah. 600 guys, with the five spies included, at Micah's house. Verse 14, Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know what is in these houses? Do you know that in these houses there is an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now, consider what you'll do. Right? These, are, these are marauding bandits. And the, the spies say, we stayed there. Do you know what that guy's got in this place? Do you know what kind of entertainment center he has in his house? Do you know what he's got locked up in his basement? What are you going to do? Well, you know what they're going to do. Verse 15, And they turned aside there, and they came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah, and they asked him about his welfare. They run into the Levite. Now, verse 16, The 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. Okay, so imagine that at the end of your driveway. 600 guys with their weapons of war. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered in. And they took the carved image and the ephod and the household gods and the metal image. While the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. Right? Somebody's robbing your house. You're standing there at the gate watching it happen because there are 600 guys with, with weapons of war. And they're carrying out your stuff. Carrying out your ephod, carrying out your household gods, right? I mean, it's not, it's not Micah, it's the Levite standing there watching it. When they went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, the metal image, the priest said to them, this is verse 18, what are you doing? Right? Obviously, he knows what they're doing. <laughs> what are you doing? And verse 19, they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us. Be to us a father and a priest. It is, is it better for you to be a priest in the house of one man or to be a priest to a tribe and a clan of Israel? Verse 20, and the priest's heart was glad. Right? Not so loyal. Right? Saw the opportunity that was presented to him. He took the ephod and the household gods and carved image and went along with the people. They had said, listen, buddy, you're going to stay with Micah, who we are robbing blind right now? Or are you going to come with us? Be a priest to our whole tribe. We got the gold, we got the carved images, we got the ephod now. And the priest's heart was glad. Right? I think that's great. <laughs> so, uh, verse 21. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. It wasn't just the household gods they took from Micah. And when they'd gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. 
And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you come with such a company? Right? A funny question. Hey, what's the matter with you, buddy? We just robbed you, and now we're escaping. What do you want? In verse 24, Micah said, he said, You take my gods that I made and the priest, and you go away? And what have I left? <clears throat> How then do you ask me? What's the matter with you? Verse 25, And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. They say effectively, Micah, shut your mouth if you don't want trouble. Verse 26, Then the people of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. It's very, in some ways, it's a very similar story to when Abraham and uh, Ketoliomer go after Lot when he's been kidnapped, but it's very different in the end, isn't it? He doesn't come back uh, with his loved ones. Micah goes back empty-handed. Now, in the rest of the chapter, the story goes on. Uh, the Danites go to Laish. They uh, ransack this place. They set up Micah's household gods and carved images there, and the Levite serves as a priest there. But that's enough of, uh, of the text for us this evening. Um, I have three points, uh, and they're, they're simple points. And they are alliterated, so I want to really emphasize them to you. Uh, my wife is, is home right now. One of our kids is sick, but she would be impressed. She always likes it when I alliterate. So here's the three points. The first one is Micah's mistakes. The second one is Micah's misery. And the third one is what Micah was missing. Okay? The first point, Micah's mistakes. Now consider Micah for a second here in this story. What kind of man was he? What kind of person was Micah? We're introduced to him, he just robbed his mother. Right? He, he's a thief. Now, throughout the story, Micah demonstrates all kinds of bad character, doesn't he? He, he isn't even particularly generous to the Levite. He's a, he's a thief, he's a cheat, and he's also an idolater, isn't he? That money that he stole from his mother, it ends up being used to make idols that he worships. Now, wasn't he a religious man, though? Oh, he was a very religious man. But his religion uh, was of the worst kind of formalism and self-defined, self-deceiving, selfish kind of uh, hypocritical religion. Micah was a thief and an idolater and a religious hypocrite. And as I said, uh, in some ways, Micah is a, a pretty accurate picture of men and women in the world apart from the living God in that way. If you think about it, and in a sense, you might say that, that all those made in God's image who live life on the earth in serving themselves and not serving the living God have stolen the good gifts of God and turned around and made idols out of them, haven't they? 
If you and I were made in God's image, who were given life by God in order to glorify Him, in order to serve Him, in order to honor Him, if I instead turn away with those things and use them to make idols for myself to worship, things of my own creating for me to trust in and set up my own little household shrine, I'm behaving in a very similar way to Micah, aren't I? To take the life that God has given us to serve and glorify Him and instead use it to make all these things in the image of created things in which we trust uh, is, is very much the inclination of human beings after the fall apart from God's grace. Uh, you know that I, I, John Calvin says that the, the human heart is an idol factory. And it is, isn't it? I mean, if we're defining idols as those things in which we put our trust rather than God, those things from which we seek to get the life and peace and strength that only should come from God, those things to which we give glory that is due to God. I mean, friends, we make idols all the time. You see it in the world around you all the time. There are people that make idols of their possessions. They make idols of money or of a job that makes money or of a house you can get with money or of a, of a car or of having a certain amount of money set up in the bank. You look at all kinds of things and they're saying, if I have this, then I will be okay. Whether it's, a, whether it's a significant house or whether it's a certain automobile or whether it's a certain kind of cell phone or whether it's none of those things and the fact that I have a bunch of money squirreled away and I could have those things if I want to. If I'm trusting in those things and having security in those things, like the man with the bigger barns in the story that Jesus told, ah, soul, you can rest at ease. Look what you've got stored up. I mean, you, know, the, you see that in people all around you. Sometimes you see that in the mirror. If I can only have it like this, then, then I'll be okay. It's entirely possible also for us to make idols of relationships that we have. Relationships with the opposite sex, the affection of someone. Relationships with friends. If I could only have the, that, that circle of friends that really trust me and love me and know me, then my life would be okay. Then I could rest easy. We make relationships with our children into an idol. Oh, if only they would turn out this way. If only they would love me, then everything would be okay. I don't care what else happens. The approval and acceptance and connection with certain individuals in our lives can very much be the thing in which we trust. And it can be the thing that we're seeking after with all the good gifts that God has given us. Sometimes it's not specific relationships that we're seeking after. It's just a reputation in general. I want to be somebody who's respected. I want to be somebody who people like and think highly of. Or maybe it doesn't really have to do with, with the way that other people view me. It's just the way that I view myself. Do I see myself as a capable person? Do I have certain abilities? Am I competent when it comes to parenting, when it comes to my work, when it comes to relationships, when it comes even to service in the church? Do I have these certain abilities? If I can, if I can do these things and have these things, if I can be this way, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be all right. I mean, it's possible. It, it's much easier when you're young 
but it's even possible to make an idol of physical strength and beauty. An idol of, of the physical health that you have. You know, underneath these things there is vanity, there is control, there is comfort. There are so many things, friends, that we can make idols of. That if only I can have that, then I'll be okay. Sometimes they're big things and sometimes they're silly little small things. I oftentimes the indicator is when we're angry or afraid when we don't have them. I'll tell you a I'll illustrate this very briefly for you. The other day, before I went to work in the morning, I opened up the freezer to get some ice out and I identified mint chocolate chip ice cream in the freezer. My wife had gotten it. And it wasn't just mint and chocolate chip ice cream, it was a good brand. Right? It, was the good, it was the good stuff. The kind of stuff that she and I enjoy. Not the kind of stuff in the plastic tub that our children enjoy. You know, it was the premium mint chocolate chip ice cream. And so I went to work and I thought, tonight, I'm going to have some mint chocolate chip ice cream. You know, And uh, I, maybe I even thought about it several times during the day. I'm telling too much about myself here. But I, I, got, I got home that evening. I had a, a meeting late here, and I got home that evening, and uh, I ate, ate dinner. The kids had already eaten, and some of them were in bed. I ate dinner and uh, sat down with my wife, and I said, I'm going to go get some ice cream for us. Go in the kitchen, open up the freezer. There is no mint chocolate chip ice cream. I look in the trash can next to the refrigerator. There is the empty mint chocolate chip ice cream container that was not for me and her to enjoy after the kids had gone to bed. That was a special treat for the kids that she had gotten. And I was a little bit angry. I wasn't really angry at anybody specific. I mean, I wasn't angry at my kids. I wasn't angry at my wife. I was just mad because I wanted it and I didn't have it. And so I realized some part of me that day was thinking, oh, if I could just sit down and cater to myself with this thing that I like, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be able to relax. Ah. And I realized, you know, I don't want to sit down on the couch and read the Bible with my wife. I don't want to sit down and pray with her before bed. I want to eat mint chocolate chip ice cream. Right? Now, there's nothing sinful about mint chocolate chip ice cream, but friends... I had made a little bit of an idol of it in my heart. That's what I wanted. And when I didn't have it, it really grind, grinded my gears, you see. I mean, something silly like that can be an idol. Something silly like that can get a grip on you. The bigger the thing is and the better the thing is, the grip can be all the stronger, right? To have children that turn out well, boy, that can be an idol. To have people think of me a certain way. To have a relationship. To have a marriage that looks like this. That kind of stuff can surpass the glory of the living God if we're not careful. Apart from God, sinful man, we take His gifts, we take strength, we take health, we take life, intended to glorify Him, and we use it to make our own little household gods to comfort us. The days that God has given us, the gifts, the health, the strength that He's intended for us to seek His will, instead, they become these 
the resources to create these little false sources of peace and life in our own home and our own control like Micah. And this is often, I'll be brief here for the sake of time, this is often accompanied by a sort of religion that is really only self-serving formalism anyway. A kind of religion and spirituality that's not really about God at all. It's very much about me. Serving me and my idols. Making sure that I have got what I need. In the form, something like true worship, but really about serving self. And in that way, mankind, apart from God, is a confused, hypocritical mess like Micah. Again, you see this around us in the world, but sometimes we see shades of it in the mirror, don't we? Sometimes we see more than shades of it. Now, for the sake of time, we'll we'll go on to the second point. That was Micah's mistakes. The second point, Micah's misery. We've considered Micah a little bit. Now, let's consider what happens to Micah. What became of Micah's idols and his false religion? Micah got robbed, right? The Danites came in to steal Micah's idols. His priest betrayed him and abandoned him, and Micah is left with nothing. In the end, those things that Micah trusted in were not worthy of his trust at all. They were made of straw, and they fell apart when he needed them. And in that way, Micah is also a picture of sinful man apart from God in the world. Because, friends, there there are so many things that we can make idols of and trust in and say, if I only had that, then I'd be okay. But there are equally so many ways that all those little household gods can be taken from us in a moment's notice, aren't there? Money and possessions can go as quickly as they come and be stolen away by circumstances in a moment's notice. I mean, even the 401k, even the retirement, even those things that all the, you know, the, the financial mechanisms were going to keep safe, if something crashes, it all crashes. All those things can be taken from us in a moment. The car that was so wonderful falls apart. The cell phone that made me feel so good and released all that dopamine in my brain can fall in the toilet like that. Right? It can be over. Relationships with people, reputations can be taken away in a moment's notice. The winds of favor can change overnight, can't they? Even my gifts, my abilities, my my health and my strength will disappear, won't they? I'm, I know that we have a, there's quite a, a diversity here in this room in terms of the, the number of winters that we have seen, the number of years we've got under our belt. But I think I'm looking at a, a, a lot of people who have, who have tasted on some level the fact that health and strength and beauty and ability and human wisdom doesn't last quite as long as I thought it would. This morning before the service, my wife said, you have got to cut your hair before church because, you know, I'm bald here in the middle and I get these two kind of puffs that grow up on the side. And she, that is not, it didn't look like that when we got married. You know, it's gone. Now, I was never, I never had like the mane of hair that I run my fingers through and, you know, be impressed, you know, but, but I, hey, Caleb, but, but I sure... 
I sure don't have it now, friends. And anything that you trust in, whether it's hair, whatever it is, right? the Danites come in and it's gone. Even a relationship. Even children. Right? Some of you know that. We can joke about hair, but some of you know how quickly the Danites come in and take that thing that I thought, if I just have this, I'll be okay. All control, all vanity, all comfort sought in earthly things is proven to be empty in time. And those things in which we trust will suddenly abandon us. Like that priest who says, well, I guess I got greener pastures over there and they're gone. And with Micah, we end up saying, what have I left? You've taken everything from me. What have I left? But also like Micah, our complaints fall on deaf ears, don't they? The Danites, age, circumstances, they don't care that you're left with nothing. Complain all you want. Some of you know I used to be a hospice chaplain. And for years I spent time with people in the last days, sometimes the last hours of their life. And I knew a lot of people that were lamenting what the Danites had taken from them. That were lamenting, oh, you know, my children aren't here. My health is gone. I thought I was going to end up like this and I didn't. And their lamentations fell on deaf ears. Time and age don't care. Right? I could listen to them. I could pray for them. I could talk to them about Christ. But in the end, they're like Micah shaking their fist, saying, look what you've taken from me. i got nothing left. And they didn't have anything left because what they trusted in was earthly and fleeting. And friends, it is like that with our idols, whatever it is that we're trusting in. They're not going to last forever. And if they are with us till our very deathbed, they won't be with us beyond our deathbed, will they? They won't cross the river with us. They cannot. We'll go as we've come. Now, the very last thing I want to say, the third point here, what Micah was missing. What's repeated twice in these chapters? It's repeated in chapter 19, too, and going on in Judges. But what did you notice in the narrative was said twice? There was no king in Israel. Right? There was no king in Israel. Micah did as he saw fit. He did as he pleased. He had his own little kingdom, and it was his ruin in the end because it was a kingdom made of sand. It wasn't that Micah didn't make good enough idols. It wasn't that his formalism and religion wasn't thorough or enough. It was, Micah's problem was himself. He was trusting in himself and his own little household kingdom with his household gods. He was following his own guidance. And what Micah needed, what Israel needed, was an, an outside Savior to come in and rescue. A king to govern in righteousness to establish right order, to bring peace and to protect his people from robbery and war. Micah needed a king. That's what he was missing. And so it is with sinful man. He does not need to try harder. He does not need to get his ducks in a row. He needs to be rescued, doesn't he? Man apart from God in the world needs a king, and not just any king, the king. 
who can bring righteousness and justice and forgive sin and make His people holy. The King who can establish right worship and reconcile us to the real and living God. The King who will be a priest for us and never leave us or forsake us and turn His back on us. The King who brings peace and safety with Him so that we fear no man or what man can do to us because we've been given an inheritance that cannot be shaken. Now, God has given such a King to sinners in Jesus Christ. That is who Jesus Christ is. So the question that I want to ask you here uh, in closing is, as you look at Micah and you think about Micah, are you like Micah? Are you using all the resources that God has given to mankind for His own glory instead to try to create a little kingdom that's going to keep you safe and secure by your own strength? Are you using His gifts to make idols for you to trust in? To have the right relationships with the right people? To have enough money in the bank? To have the things so that you can rest at ease? even though those things cannot last. And if we're thinking ahead, they will be taken from us. Are you like somebody running their own little empire and there is no king here? There is no king in this life. There is no king in this nation. There is no king in Israel. I have my own little household shrine and my own gods that I worship and my own priest that I've ordained that does my work for me. If that is the story of your life, friends, turn to the real king before it is too late. The Danites are coming. Right? Age is coming. Time is coming. Circumstances are changing. The grave is coming. But Jesus Christ lives. And you are not a king who can govern your life and make you secure in the way that you might pretend. But He is a King who can. And He will have you. In Matthew chapter 6, we read these words. The Lord Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And He says to the crowds, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying don't, don't be like Micah. Don't make your little empire that's not going to last. Thieves come in. Moth and rust destroy but instead come to Me. Here's the King saying if you come to Me, you have a security. No Danites can come in and take it from you. Old age can't take it from you. Bad circumstances and betrayals from friends can't take it from you. Not even death itself can take it from you if your treasure is with Me. Because Christ Himself, the King, conquered death. And He holds the keys in His hand. So when He makes an invitation like that, when He makes a promise like that, it's good and it's true. So friends, 
If you look at yourself and you see Micah, tonight you should change your mind. You should repent and turn to Christ who is the King. Let there be a King in Israel and worship and follow Him. And brothers and sisters, you who have known that King for a long time, if you see shades of Micah in your life, if you see the temptation to build idols and trust in them gnawing at you, if only I had this, if only I could get this together, things would be good. If you feel that, that anxiety for certain things of earth to keep you safe. Remember that all those things aren't going to last, but Christ is. He who died for sinners has been raised from the dead and will live forever. And with Him there is an inheritance that cannot be shaken. Right. So turn to Him tonight in faith. Now, let's, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the good gifts you've given us in your word. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the bread from heaven. We thank you that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he who died on the cross for sinners has been raised and he's been given the name above every name. And we are not responsible. We're not shackled with the need to create our own empire of security. But rather we have a refuge with a rock who is Christ. Oh, help us to flee to Him, to trust in Him, to stay near to Him and near the cross. Have mercy on us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.